Get ready to enjoy an earful of auditory indulgence as you explore Tom Moon's book, 1,000 Recordings to Hear Before You Die, presented in cooperation with Workman Publishing. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 1,000 Recordings podcast, episode number 62. I am your host, Anthony Joseph Landman, and with me, as always, every episode is the newest Avenger, Mitchell Davis. Yeah, that'd be fun. <laughs> <laughs> what would your power be? Uh, right now, I, I joked with somebody about this a little while back. Uh, I have no sense of smell right now, so I am immune uh, to to noxious gases and smells. So, yeah, I mean, literally, I I have lost my sense. It's a sinus issue where I, I cannot smell anything. <laughs> yeah, you know, which that would come in. I handy. guess. Yeah, sometimes that can be really good, um, especially here in Houston. Once you head towards places like Pasadena <laughs> or whatever, um, you know, I, I'll be driving down the road. And my wife is like, "What does that smell?" I'm like, "I don't know." <laughs> That's, don't smell you're anything. lucky, man. Talking about yeah, like you said, driving past Pasadena, and if you have the power to not smell, that's yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Certain places, especially I work outdoors. There are certain things I don't I don't want to smell, you know. It's, <laughs> yeah. Uh, water treatment, you know, sewer, uh-huh. uh, that kind of thing when the wind blows, and um, I don't miss any of that. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's just I'm just fine. Yeah, but I'm, I'm pretty. Sure it it comes back, you know, in places where I, I'll. It has to be something really, really, really strong, you know, like something burning, you know. I usually smell that, but other than that, I mean, you know, I don't, I really smell nothing, you know, wow. I mean, it, or so, something really, something like some really potent, pungent aroma, you know, like a uh, mentholatum or, you know, Vicks, yeah. that, that type of stuff, you know, but other than that, no, I, I smell nothing at all. So that is my superpower. Okay. Um, for awesome. now. <laughs> awesome. Um, <laughs> well, uh, on this episode of 1000 RP, um, we're going to be looking at three more albums from Tom Moon's book, 1,000 Recordings to Hear Before You Die. In this episode, we're going to be looking at DJ Shadow, his uh, very first album, Introducing. Uh, then we're going to go on to Eric Dolphy, um, one of his last albums, Out to Lunch. And then we're going to look at Antoine Fats Domino, uh, a kind of collection of all of his hits all of his biggest hits uh, from basically the, the Imperial days. Um, but we're going to start with DJ Shadow and his album Introducing from 1996 is when it was released. Uh, DJ Shadow, real name Josh Davis, uh, born in Davis, California. And uh, he started early in high school, which is playing around with a four-track tape recorder and kind of graduated to DJing in college and he eventually wanted to create he said he wanted to create an album of that was just completely sampled just a completely sampled album um and this was my first experience with it but I think you'd heard this before oh yeah 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 um DJ Shadow uh was one of those guys that that took sampling, you know, in in a hip hop sense, in a in a very adventurous and brand new sort of direction, you know, uh, you know, we, we've obviously we've talked about 
um, you know, De La Soul and um, like the Beastie Boys, Paul's Boutique album, the way they they sample certain things that, you know, some other people would never sample and kind of made them cool and you know, worked them in to what they were doing. Well, DJ Shadow, uh, yeah, he uh, especially since most of his stuff is kind of like what you would consider instrumental, um, he would sample some things and, and even manipulate the sound of certain things to make drum beats in a way that really had not been done like this ever and um, was really, in, in, in a lot of senses, creating a brand new song. Because that's one thing with sampling. A lot of times it was just, it's like a replayed version of what you'd already heard from a you know, a popular song or whatever, but he was, he was taking some of this stuff and breaking it down and, and, and masking it and, and reprocessing it and reconstructing it, however you want to look at it to really create some songs that were, were really new in a sense and, and, and brilliant, <laughs> you know, um, artists that people had never heard before, some interviews, movie clips, all kinds of stuff that he was he was using and um you know would would use like you know tape loops and and sampling machines that you know basically would put stuff together and and I think was an inspiration for you know other people along the way that that kind of came you know through that era uh like like JD or Jay Dilla who 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 has passed away was one one well-known producers DJs that that was kind of like that too, where he would take beats and, and, and drum loops and, and just create some really cool sounding beats, sometimes beats that were off beat, you know? Um, yeah. DJ shadow, uh, really profound. Um, and his real name is Josh Davis. You know, you already said that. Um, just, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very impressed with this record. Um, because it, 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 it took some some songs and tracks from artists that that people probably never would have heard of. <laughs> yeah, had he sure. not sampled them and brought some of the sounds of their records, even if it was just a small snippet, you know, to the forefront by mixing it into what he did. You know, it was uh, really cool. I mean, and, and another thing about his his music, like I said, I mean, you know, kind of hip hop, instrumental hip hop, and and some people called it even trip hop which that was a, a phrase that really hadn't you know been brought up before i mean it was it was like a style of music that kind of fused all kinds of music you know uh an, an ambient or electronic sound definitely some jazz stuff um you know i i would really think that that he like in prince paul who, who worked with de la soul you know they they were some guys that were really groundbreaking and what they did and they inspired uh, just a generation of DJs and people like sampling and looking for records and looking for the the perfect loop or the perfect sound you know um you know I, I would say DJ Shadow is way up there you know when yeah, it, when yeah. it came to that you know not just a a DJ for a DJ's sake that that makes records you know you know on a sort of fundamental basis but I mean he took it somewhere way different you know yeah yeah, he, he. I read that he has <clears throat> a collection of like over sixty thousand albums, and this is what these guys do. I mean, they they're like archaeologists, <laughs> you know. They uh they pour through all these records, 
for that perfect sample and it could maybe only be a few seconds long you know when they find it but uh yeah it's interesting how he made this album um he made it with very few pieces of equipment you know obviously it was uh really just him making the record um he used this akai mpc60 sampler that was like his main instrument and he talked about it when he talked about it, he talked about it like an instrument and he really worked at it and practiced it, you know, because he wanted to be the best at this instrument. And he really viewed this piece of equipment as an instrument. And uh, if you've ever seen anybody who's really good with these things, you realize that it is like an instrument. And they have to, to work at it and practice and, you know, dedicate themselves to it like an instrument in order to reach the level that they reach, you know, on it. Um so yeah, he used this sampler and he had a turntable, you know, for the samples. He had an ADAT recorder, which is like if you guys don't know, that that was big in the 90s. It was basically a digital tape recorder. Um and then he used a very early Pro Tools setup that so that somebody that he knew had, you know, to basically put the album together, which is what I use for this podcast. I use Pro Tools for this podcast. Um <clears throat> and that, you know, that was it. That was what he used, you know, to put the whole thing together. And it took him about two years. I think he started in 94 and uh, it was released in 96. So, yeah, you know, it's a really thing. interesting and, I, I don't know, kind of groundbreaking. I, I read that this was the first album, like all sampled album. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. yeah. The, the thing that the where the technology was there at that time, like early 90s, mid 90s to now to where everybody, almost everybody now almost has the same kind of setup, you know, sometimes to make, you know, music that's much more organic <laughs> you know, than what he was doing. I mean, you know, to, to, to clean up things and edit things. I mean, he yeah. was, uh, he was really, really ahead for what he had set up for himself. Like you said, just really an individual making a record, you know, like you said, with all, you know, pretty much vinyl samples and, and tracks from tapes and, and snippets from movies. And, you know, I mean, very, very cool. I mean, you know, I, yeah. I've seen a lot of people, you know, sample stuff over the years, you know, some industrial artists, you know, Cabaret Voltaire and the like that that have had cool methods for sampling and making beats and all that kind of stuff, but he he took a lot of what had come before him and just made something really new and 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 cool and um and and sometimes I mean chilling <laughs> if, if that word yeah, yeah. even fits like Midnight in a Perfect World is a song that to me it's. It's so good. I mean, every time I hear it, I get I get moody because it's a it's a song that that really really could maybe have never happened had it not been for him just being the you know sort of crate digger that he is. You know, yes. and I mean, going through and and getting all these different pieces of music, and then the, there's a video for that song where the video, if you watch it is synced up with the song where it's almost the same method he used to create the song, even rhythm and beat wise, that video has the same spirit where it has a rhythm too. Like there's a part where the, the drum beats going and there's a guy 
you hear his voice, you know, kind of narrating at the beginning. He's head nodding in the video to the song, like like it's real time. And I'm just like, man, that's ridiculous. <laughs> you know, I mean, this it, it has a, just a beautiful spirit about it. You know, mm. the whole um, the whole you know idea of what he did, and um, and also too on on our uh, our Facebook page, I I post a clip this morning from a movie called Scratch. Where it's it's basically about about DJ culture and and the the part with DJ Shadow in it it shows uh, him uh, going into this record store that he frequents a lot, which is in the video also, where he talks about this record store in particular's basement, and when you go in, it's it's literally like a a basement of records stacked to the ceiling, where certain parts of the basement wow. you have to turn sideways to get through, and I mean it's. It's it's really insane. It's almost like a a, a graveyard or a spirit yard for yeah, artists that yeah. you know they had careers, they had goals, but he says eventually everybody winds up in that basement. You know, no matter how famous you are, no matter you know what you put out, and eventually if you're gonna make music, he says everybody winds up in that basement somewhere. <laughs> and I'm like, man, that's in a way that's really cool, but it's really tragic. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, yeah. yeah his, his crate digging skills are are pretty pretty keen. I mean, he's one of those guys that I, I imagine he he does it probably every day. You know, if he can, he's he's always looking. He's always out there. Yeah. You know, searching for that new sound or that new whatever. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Let's start. Well, since you brought up Midnight in a Perfect World, let's start with that one. <clears throat> um, this is kind of based around um, this electric piano sample from. Uh, this this jazz composer uh, David Axelrod that he samples, you know, quite a bit on this album, and this is from uh, a tune of David Axelrod's called "The Human Abstract." So, uh, you know, that's where one of the samples comes from. <clears throat> um, it also includes samples from, and I don't know who I have no idea who these people are. Um, Samples from Jeremy Storch from I Feel a New Shadow, uh, Mort Garson from Planetary Motivations, and George, an interview with drummer George Marsh, among other. That's not everything. I mean, <clears throat> you know, it also has uh, a women's choir in there, uh, bass fills, uh, drum kicks that he sort of alters the sound, funk guitars in there. I mean, just a, a lot of different things from different records you know he's taking this snippet and this snippet and then putting it all together to make something completely new so yeah um yeah extraordinary cut and paste uh (laughs) yeah miracle if you would i mean yeah and uh i i just i this song blows me away i mean it's you know it's what now almost 20 years old and it still blows me away and whenever i hear the song i mean it's just um it's heavy <laughs> yeah. just to think of what he went through to make this and the labor of love. You know, I have a lot of respect for him, you know, because he's somebody that, you know, you know, when you, when you hear a sound and music that, that moves you, that's one thing, but to hear that sound and to mix it with, you know, you know, 12, 20 other records, you know, and still make it work. It's a gift. I mean, it's, it's really kind of crazy, but you know, yeah. he, he seems to be able to, to handle that pretty well, you know? Well, um, he must have <clears throat> the override, 
overall idea for the track in his mind already and amazing ears you know what i mean because to be able to you know go through record after record after record and just listen straight through and then be able to hear that you know that two seconds that just went by and just say that's what i need you know that's that's the the piece of the puzzle that i need for this track and then keep doing that over and over again and then make something that's uh that's coherent and and great and you know it's a different talent you know but it's it's an amazing thing to be able to do yeah i i imagine he he probably never stops i mean i mean i, I imagine he you know he i mean he, he has to sleep but that part of his brain i bet it never turns off where you know he's he's constantly hungry for that next whatever you know which i, I have a lot of respect for that too somebody that you know, they they want to keep working. They want to keep, you know, keep fresh in, in what they're doing. So he listens to probably like, I mean, tons of records. <laughs> yeah. You know, every oh. day, all kinds of ridiculous records where you're like, why do you, why do you have this? <laughs> you know, what is yeah. this? You know, you, you know so, what? I, I just read the samples from a different track. I messed up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's okay. <laughs> so, anyway, in this track, he uses samples from art these artists, and uh, again, most of them I've never heard of. Um, Baraka, Pekka Pajola, um, Organized Confusion, uh, David Axelrod, as we mentioned earlier, Meredith yeah, Monk, yeah. Uh, who I know who that is. She's like a contemporary classical composer. And uh, Marlena Shaw, I don't know who that is, but um, yeah, Marlena Shaw, good, great vocalist, kind of kind of jazz soul. She's been sampled quite a bit. Uh, um, there's this one song of hers in particular, man, it's slipping my mind, but it's like a live album of hers where um, she's been sampled by the Wu Tang Clan, a, a bunch of people. Where this one song of hers, um, anyway, well, the song he uses is called California Soul. Yeah, and then, see that that song is one of her more popular songs. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's, what's what's funny about that song? What comes to my mind? There's a Dockers commercial that used that song. If if I play that song for you right now, I guarantee you, you know it. Because yeah, I'm sure it has one of those classic beats to it, and and it, it has been sampled a lot, you know. But uh, yeah, Marlene Shaw is uh, she's pretty awesome. I'm pretty sure yeah. we'll we'll talk about her in the book somewhere. <laughs> okay, yeah, talk about her again. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, let's check this out. This first track from DJ Shadow. This is Midnight in a Perfect World. Insight, foresight, more sight. The clock on the wall reads a quarter past midnight.
And we just heard Midnight in a Perfect World. And we're going to move on to our second track, Building Steam with a Grain of Salt. And uh, this one, again, contains a lot of stuff. Um, and it contains this. I'm, I'm reading my notes. I'm going backwards. So I was reading the notes for this one when we started talking about Midnight in a Perfect World. So this one is the one that has it's a based on a piano loop uh and it's got interview samples uh, from this uh drummer george marsh uh it's got a women's choir it's got bass fills it's got um a kick drum that's you know that he changes the sound on it's got a funk guitar in there it contains samples from uh jeremy storch mort garson and uh, the interview with drummer george marsh that i mentioned earlier <clears throat> and uh again you know it's just like you, you know this thing this idea has continued obviously you know to today but there's a guy on youtube i don't know if you've ever heard him um his name on youtube is kutiman k-u-t-i-m-a-n <clears throat> and basically what he's done is essentially the same thing but what he what this guy has done is <clears throat> he has like trolled youtube for YouTube videos. So like uh, somebody might post a little video of them on their webcam singing a little melody, or it could be like a video of somebody like demonstrating how a, a certain instrument works or a bass player just like laying down a bass line or whatever. And then he'll take all these videos, just like samples, and he'll like cut them up, he, even like more than, than DJ Shadow did. So for instance, like... Um, <clears throat> he has one track that starts with this bass player and I think we just lost Mitch. Hold on. And I'll try to, <laughs> Hey, are you there? You there? Yeah. Yeah. I'm here now. I lost you. You were, uh, you were saying something about a bass player and then, then you dropped out. Yeah. Um, so he has this track that starts with this upright bass, right? <clears throat> and what he does is he he found this video of this upright bass player playing this bass line. But then he didn't just take that video. He, what he did is he chopped it up and he created his own bass line from what this guy was playing. So he, uh, okay. he like took it, then he chops it up and like rearranges it to create a whole new bass line. And uh -huh. then he will layer samples of all these uh, videos that he found on YouTube. And he creates, dude, these amazing tracks. I'm going to have to check that out. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll post one on our, on our Facebook page. But cool. um, it's, it's, and it's exactly this idea that uh, DJ Shadow started. It's, so it's, it's kind of like a, you know, an evolution of that idea. It's re really interesting. Yeah, and the the cool thing about the the reworking of, of of the mixture of songs, and I mean, I went I went through to the the who sampled uh, website and posted links on on both of these songs that we're talking about from DJ Shadow, and and it it has clips of the the songs or, or sometimes a full song of what he sampled and and drops in the the time where it comes in. It makes you go back and look at those original artists that he sampled. And, and you kind of get into them, you know, like David Axelrod and, uh, you know, you know, Frankie say, I'm like, who are these people? I'm like, <laughs> you know, now I'm curious yeah. and, and, and going back and, and it's, 
it's it's a fun process um, to look and see what what inspired him to to put a lot of this together and and to realize how you know it's it's like watching a house being built from the foundation and then seeing it from the very beginning you know to the finished product you know um, I think that's that's like one of those analogies that that kind of kept coming at me. Is like you know, listening to his record is like a finished product of of so many different things. You know, it's a it's a house of many parts, but you know, it's it all started sometimes with just one little thing. You know, like a very yeah. small thing, a voice, a drum beat. You know, somebody being interviewed, hell, a door slamming. I mean, you know, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, he 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 can just take one thing. And run with it, and like you said, you know, he he has an idea of kind of where he wants to go, and then sometimes maybe I'm, I'm sure he gets exactly what what he wants, or maybe sometimes even better, you know, which I'm sure that process is fun too, you know, yeah. just the yeah the working of it. So yeah, the other thing I, I just really appreciate about um, these people who do this, you know, DJ Shadow and others, is uh you know their voracious appetite for music and the fact that they have to be completely open to everything. Yeah. You know, so many people uh, close themselves off to like, you know, genres or whatever. They convince themselves, I don't like this genre. Mm-hmm. And then so, and therefore they close themselves off to an entire genre of music. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, DJ Shadow and others, you know, they're just open to anything and everything, you know? Um, I mean, the guy wouldn't have 60,000 records if he wasn't. Yeah, (laughs) which is, I mean, that when you think about that, I mean, that's a lot of records. I mean, that's that's an that's an. I mean, it's really. I I have a lot of music in my house. I'm sure you do too. But sixty thousand of anything in my house, (laughs) let alone like vinyl LPs, and I'm sure a mix of forty fives. That is insane. I mean, I, I I would, my wife would leave me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean just the storage commitment is something you know yeah just yeah, to just, store that many albums is, you know exactly yeah. i'm sure it's it's a it's a task uh pete rock um you know very famous dj he he had that issue too where he had like tons of records you know tons of records and talked about how he you know he warehoused and stored stuff and and organized stuff i mean there's no way to keep it completely organized. I'm sure some of that stuff. I mean, that defies categorization. Like, where do you put it? I mean, I guess you have like a where do you put it section, you know? Um, and then trying to keep it safe, uh, like uh, like Q-Tip from a tribe called Quest. He he had this really bad fire years back where he lost all of his records, which I, I imagine that that has to be devastating if you're if you're a dj or a music lover or anything Mm -hmm. like that where you've been correct collecting records for a long period of time uh i don't even i don't even want to think about it i mean you know some of that stuff can't be replaced you know where if it's gone it's just gone you know yeah um you know it's yeah I'm, i'm sure it's it's a task you know but he 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 has a love for it obviously um yeah so yeah, yeah, man. Anyway, well, let's check out this last track from DJ Shadow. This is Midnight. No, this is. Uh, listen to that one. This building is uh, with a building. Yes, build. Yeah, you said it. There, Producing. Here we go. 
from listening to records, I just knew what to do. I, I mainly taught myself. And, you know, I did pretty well, except there were a few mistakes but, uh, that I made that uh, I have just recently cleared up. continue to be able to express myself as best as I can in history. And I feel like I have a lot of work to do. Still, you know, I'm a student of the drums. And I'm also a teacher of the drums too. You know? <laughs> steam with a grain of salt and we're going to move on to our next artist eric dolphy uh jazz artist uh, his album out to lunch released in 1964 and uh i didn't i had heard of eric dolphy i didn't really know anything about him um i started to research and uh you know the first thing i write down in my notes is the entry from the book the name eric dolphy out to lunch is released in 1964 then i i look at his you know, his dates, and I see he died in 1964. Yeah. yeah. And I look, I was like, wait, this album was released in 1964, and he died in 1964. So, uh, you know, we can talk about that. Um, <clears throat> obviously, you know, he, he died early um, and unexpectedly. But, uh, you know, Eric uh, Dolphy was, uh, from what I read, I mean, just sort of, a, you know, one of these uh, natural musical talents you could say and he picked up music you know at a really early age and picked it up very easily you know from what i read and just sort of like you know he he started on clarinet and then he wanted to learn oboes so he learned oboe and then he wanted to learn sax and flute so he learned sax and flute and then he you know what he just you know he just could do it and do it all incredibly well um, so much so that like the people who he played with, you know, who, who were jazz heavyweights, you know, at the time, um, mm-hmm. you know, Charles Mingus and uh, John Coltrane and others were just they were all just like amazed at, at his talent, just just totally amazed at his talent. Um, had you heard Eric Dolphy much 
Yeah, I mean, you know, definitely as far as working with, uh, you know, Coltrane and and Mingus, and even even by himself. I mean, you know, from what I listened to, he was one of those guys that he obviously very talented, but in a sense to where also he he would challenge his audience, you know, and challenge himself. You know, which we we will kind of hear on this recording and, and the tracks we're going to talk about, where he he would play really free, if you would. Which I know that that term is kind of used, you know, kind of loosely, the so-called free jazz style. But um, you know, he he took that literally very seriously. Where sometimes in a song it seemed as if um, his style was was just unbridled, where he. You know, he had control of his instrument, but it wasn't like jazz what you were used to hearing, you know. Um, and and I think he he really definitely wanted to challenge the audience that, that he had in front of him, you know, to kind of just, you know, you know, this is what we can do, you know. And, and if you if you like it, cool. If you don't, that's cool, too, you know. But he he was a player that, I mean, he played like, you know, you know several instruments well at least you know flute saxophone obviously and bass clarinet um but had this style um that that seemed like at times was was childish in in the way it sounded but but very cool you know yeah um you know very cool atmosphere um and especially on this record you know the 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 way this record sounds the the production and everything is really clear and and um, you know the the performance themselves. I mean, like I said, they they are challenging. I mean, they they start off, you know, where you're just like, you know, not really sure. I'm like, you know, is this really jazz? I mean, I guess it is, but it's 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 different, you know. Yeah. Um, but you're right that that playfulness, that childish playfulness, I think, makes it a lot more approachable. Than other kind of it, stuff you would label maybe experimental or free jazz, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know about his about how he died. There's some like uh, I don't know some conflicting reports. Yeah. But um, I think he, I th- he was like in Europe. Um, on tour with Charles Mingus and basically told Charles Mingus that he was just going to stay in Europe um, because he was disillusioned with the United States, I guess, and that jazz scene going on there. And uh, he was in Berlin and I guess collapsed in a hotel room. And then they brought him to the hospital and his official cause of death was a diabetic coma. Um, And I guess they said like he didn't know he was diabetic and when they got him to the hospital, uh, the official report says that um, they gave him a shot of insulin and then he slipped into this coma and died of insulin shock. Uh, unofficially, there are rumors that when he came to the hospital uh, unconscious, uh, people there uh, were going off the reputation of jazz musicians that he had overdosed on drugs. Yeah. And that yeah. they just kind of left him in there to have the drugs run through his system and clear yeah. through his system when that wasn't the issue. Yeah. And and he died. Yeah. So it's very tragic. Who, it's mean. very tragic. Yeah, very tragic. Um and uh so yeah, I mean this is one of his last 
albums. Um, So we're going to, we're going to start with this track straight up and down. Um, And I read this, that it was intended to evoke a drunken stagger according to the uh, liner notes. Um, But to me, it's very composed sounding. Like if you, you know, this is labeled as free jazz. That's the label they put on it. Um, And, you know, we've looked at some free jazz before, you know, did Ornette Coleman and Albert mm-hmm. Eiler, and this does it doesn't sound the same to me at all. This sounds very uh, thought out, very composed, especially the heads, you know. Um, and Dolphy's alto sax solo here sounds very, at least on this track, to me, it sounds uh, much closer to bebop than to what you know free jazz or something would be. Um, yeah, I, I'd say it's the same spirit, maybe more what what people would call avant-garde jazz. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's still it's 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 definitely on that side, you know. I mean, it's is it or is it Ornette Coleman? No, but you know, it's it's definitely kind of more leaning in that direction. Where sometimes it, it just seems like you know they they wanted to break away from the stereotypical mindset of what people were expecting from jazz musicians or jazz yeah, records. Absolutely. You know, that that definitely is there. You know, they they were trying to to, you know, kind of have a new standard, you know, a new perspective if you will. And uh that that is real clear with yeah. this record. So yeah. yeah, I have to say, man, one of the stars for me on this disc is Bobby Hutcherson, the yes, yes. vibraphone <laughs> player. I mean his kind of punctuated uh, kind of bursts of chords and, and his voicings of those chords, man, adds so much to this record. Uh, I, I, don't think I, this I would, agree. Yeah, I don't think this would be the same album. I don't think it would even be regarded in the same way if he had been absent. Yeah, uh, I, I, I'd i say his contribution is, you're right, it's, it's huge. I mean, it's the the habitation of, of the sound of him on this record it's it's wonderful i mean he you're right i mean his 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 sound really helps accent everything you know it 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 brings a beautiful atmosphere you know through the record you know as a whole and uh, i i totally agree with you his his contribution it it cannot be overlooked i mean it is very huge when it comes to how it made this record sound and how it made it good yeah yeah man well let's check out this first track This is Straight Up and Down. Oh, 
And we just heard Straight Up and Down. And we're going to move on to our second track, Hat and Beard. Um, I read this that, that Hat and Beard refers to Thelonious Monk. Is what I read. Um, yeah. But um, <clears throat> it starts with uh, this, I don't know, this repeated sort of odd little line that kind of gets repeated, you know, throughout the instruments and sort of expands, sort of expands on that idea um, until we get to the first solo. And I thought the first solo was cool because <laughs> it's not saxophone. It's on bass clarinet. Yeah. Which yeah. is a really <laughs> unusual sound. This, this is, this solo is uh, to me a little more what I would consider avant-garde or free or, you know, it, but uh yeah, just some really cool, unusual sounds he gets out of this bass clarinet. Yeah, yeah. I, I, the going back to the whole challenging, you know, the listener or the audience. This is, this is definitely that. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I almost picture like a, like a guy walking down a sidewalk by a restaurant where there's windows and people are sitting you know, at a table at those windows and the guy walking past suddenly stops and begins to make faces at the people in the restaurant. And they're just kind of like sitting there like, should we still sit here? You know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy like that where this, this man is, is really taking something, you know, and putting it in front of you that maybe you're really not used to hearing and, and, and kind of daring you to keep going, you know, you know, is this is this something I really want to listen to? And I mean, it, it's it's cool in the sense, like you said, I, it's a bass clarinet solo where it's just really kind of off the chain. You know, where he he just kind of doodles and and plays whatever he 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 feels like it seems. And and the and the thing about it is, you know, can you imagine, especially that solo, written, you know, note wise on paper? You know, I mean. I you don't know, know. It kind of makes. Yeah, me... I don't see how you would even. I don't see how you would do that. <laughs> it it makes me think about um about Sun Ra. Um, uh, you know he people often you know would criticize him about when he would make music. You know, it's like it sounds like a child played. You know what you played. He goes, you know, sure, maybe a child could play it, but could they write it? You know, and I'm I'm thinking, you know, did he write this? I mean, could you put all this composition on paper? I mean, what what would that take? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's yeah. it's it's crazy. But in another way, it is brilliant if he could write it down, you know, note for note. You know, yeah. I mean, so. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And I mean, the the bass clarinet here, I mean, if you know anything about the mechanics of the instrument. I mean, there, there's no child that could do this. Um, no, this is, uh, yeah, this is a master of the instrument. Um, so yeah, let's check this out. Cool. This, uh, last track from Eric Dolphy, this is hat and beard. <laughs> Thank you. 
just heard Hat and Beard from Eric Dolphy, and we're going to move on to our last artist uh, for this episode, Antoine Fats Domino, uh, and this uh, box set that basically uh, Tom Moon ch- chose uh, was called They Call Me the Fat Man, the Legendary Imperial Recordings, released in 1991, and uh, just like you said, Mitch, you know, we couldn't really find this particular thing, <clears throat> but um, we found... You know, these tracks exist on, you know, a ton of other uh, greatest hits albums and, and stuff like that. But, uh, <clears throat> yeah, this was part of that, uh, you know, 90s sort of record store thing where uh, all these labels were releasing these box sets, these super elaborate box sets. A lot of them were of older artists like this where... They had a big back catalog of stuff, and then they would, you know, usually remaster it and then put it together in this big, you know, elaborate packaging. Yeah. And, and yeah. Uh, when we worked at the at the record store, you know, we had you know tons of these things, and a lot of them were just really elaborate, very you know, big, expensive. Uh, yeah, it was, yeah, it was the yeah. heyday for that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, the initial you know, slew of, of box sets that came out, which some were obviously more popular than others. Like, like I remember the Led Zeppelin box set. Um, I've never seen anything like that where, where people were more anxious for a box set of its type. And like you said, some more elaborate ones, like the, like there was some for the Beatles where they, they did all their stuff and, and put this really cool box set together, booklet and, you know, some limited edition type stuff. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That was interesting. And, and this one in particular, I'm actually curious about maybe maybe looking to pick it up myself. I mean, I'm pretty sure, you know, it's it's nice. I mean, especially in its, its original form, if they if they still have that, because that's one thing about box sets of the '90s. You know, because of the whole, you know, packaging and how you know a lot of people are saying it's just a waste to pay for all this. Some of these box sets were kind of reduced, where they took a lot of the stuff that was in them out and just kind of gave you the music per se. But you know, to find this original one probably be pretty cool um he had a really good run um in those imperial years where basically the lion's share of his hits and he had a really good run i I mean looking at you know the number of top 40 hits he had um what 36 songs that's not bad (laughs) you know not at all for for an artist especially an artist you know a black man from the south you know who really kind of helped pillar the style of what would be considered rock and roll, you know, back then. I mean, that that's pretty amazing. I, they, they said the only person that he, you know, had, the only person that had more hits than him during that era was Elvis, uh, which is, that's that's pretty amazing too. Yeah, you know. So, um, yeah, I, I would definitely like to to see or, or pick up this this box set, you know, to have for my own. I mean, I, I imagine there's quite a bit of really good music on it. Uh, you know, and some good history too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, there, there were some, uh, interesting things, uh, I read about Fats Domino, um, about his personal life and, um, kind of after a certain point, really a long time ago, like in the sixties or something, um, he he's from New Orleans and he basically said, well, I'm not going to leave New Orleans anymore. I'm tired of touring and 
I'm just gonna, you know, he he ha- he was comfortable enough earning money from royalties and stuff like that. And uh, he said, you know, I'm just gonna move back to my old neighborhood and uh, stay there. And that's what he did, you know. So he lives essentially in kind of a mansion, but in this old neighborhood in the ninth in New Orleans in the ninth ward in in New Orleans. <clears throat> and um, he had a lot of kids. You know, he had like 13 kids and stuff. And this house was big enough, you know, for everybody. And uh, I read some funny things like uh, he would prefer to sleep outside in the hammock. Um, <laughs> just weird stuff like that. Um, and it's interesting that uh, when Katrina hit, yeah. um, he decided to stay because I guess his wife, her health wasn't very good. And, you know, that was one of those areas that got flooded really heavily. And they did get rescued by the Coast Guard. But a lot of people had not heard from him since the storm mm-hmm. hit. And a lot of people presumed he was dead. He was it's, dead, yep. yeah. Yeah, yep. I remember that. Somebody yep. uh, took spray paint and spray painted um, R.I.P. Fats on the house. And a lot of people just assumed that he was killed. But uh, um, after, you know, all this was over, um, you know, they lost everything, basically. Yeah. And yeah. like, you know, all those old gold records and all that stuff, all that stuff was lost. And uh, it's interesting to see how people sort of came out and replaced those a lot of those things for him. While these record companies and stuff replaced the gold records and. You know, other things were replaced. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, really, really good spirit. Yeah, yeah this is, he's he's really iconic. I mean, I mean, especially an, an American musician like that that's still alive. You know, is it's amazing. You know, he 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 he's his contribution to to music is is really it's um it's extraordinary. Yeah. So yeah, that that's a that's a good story to hear. I mean, after all that, I mean, obviously Katrina was. It was really horrible, and to to see the the people help, you know, restore, you know, some of his stuff that he lost. That's I didn't know that. That's really good. I, yeah, I mean, that's yeah. that's a good story. Yeah, um, but yeah, it, it is important to point out that um, he is still alive. He's in his early eighties. Uh, I I assumed he was dead. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, uh, like a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, but he's he's not. He's he's still alive. He's still down there. He's still living in New Orleans and you know, in that house that uh that same house, you know, it was gutted and rebuilt and um he's there. So, you know, stop by and say hi if you're down there. Um uh, I don't know if he wants you to do that, but uh, <laughs> So, uh, we're going to start with uh we're going to listen to like two of his, his big, big hits. One, the first one we're going to listen to is ain't that a shame. Yeah. And, uh, this one, uh, I don't know. What can you say about this one? It was, uh, just a very classic rock and roll song. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, ain't that a shame blueberry Hill. I mean, these are songs that, you know, fast domino. I mean, you know, Made, I mean, they made him a legend. You know, I mean, you know, I've I've heard him since I was like a little child. <laughs> you know, yeah, same. And, I mean, it was a yeah. song he wrote with a guy, uh, Dave Barf- Bartholomew, who uh, was kind of like you know his partner in crime, so to speak. Where they they had a band that that basically wrote, well, not wrote, performed most of these songs that you hear on on this box set. And I mean, it was just a band that you know 
they had this this sort of chemistry, <laughs> you know that that was that was kind of like really really, you know, special if you would. Um, you know they they were able to take songs like this and kind of mix you know a, a blues and and rock and roll type sound together, and um, you know I, I think it just it really kind of transcended you know anything anybody ever heard all of a sudden you know after fats had a hit with this song several other artists you know notably pat boone did covers of this song um and i mean it was just one of those songs that was just so so popular you know that it got covered again and again i think elvis even covered it um you know so yeah. his his influence like i said was was pretty major you know and then some artists even had you know bigger success than he did which you know that that's a whole nother thing, but um, you know, it, it's it's just a song that everybody could kind of relate to at one time or another. I mean, uh, you know, if you would a, a song where you know someone's uh, you know had a love gone bad, if you would, um, and um, you know, it, it's just a, a huge, huge landmark. I, I would say in, in rock and roll history. I mean, this song in particular, and like I said, some of his other songs on this, just yeah. you know. Very, very influential. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, let's check this out. This first track from Fats Domino, this is Ain't That a Shame. You made me cry when you said goodbye. Ain't that a shame? My tears fell like rain. Ain't that a shame? You're the one to blame. My heart, when you said we're apart, ain't that a shame? My tears fell like rain. Ain't that a shame? You're the one to blame. Oh well, goodbye. Although. I'll cry, ain't that a shame? My tears feel like rain. Ain't that a shame? You're the one to When you said goodbye, ain't that a shame? My tears fell like rain. And we just heard Ain't That a Shame, and we're going to move on to another one of his hits, My Blue Heaven. Um, and you listen to these songs, I mean, one, yeah, they, they established his sound, which is like instantly recognizable, you know, in all mm-hmm. these songs. But they're sort of like a a blueprint for rock and roll, you know, they sort of set the foundation of this is what rock and roll is. And that's sort of what everyone, you know, uh, went went off of. Yeah. 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 I I think something in the book that, that Tom Moon talks about 
is uh the parade beat rhythm that is yeah that is something that permeates almost every one of his especially his upbeat songs uh that that new orleans style you know mardi gras sounding parade beat rhythm you know or or and then the jump blues style i mean that the way that the way he played on the piano i mean that's another thing too i mean the piano wasn't really considered for a lot of people a rock and roll style instrument but he made it that that way to where the style where he played i mean he he obviously influenced like you know people on down you know jerry lee lewis and elton john and you know everybody else who went on to kind of take piano and 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 rock it like that i mean little richard you know i mean you know he he was one of the first you know to to take blues and soul and new orleans music and mix it up the way that he did with the band he had and i mean obviously he had just just a long long successful run to the point where he's you know he he still makes money now off of those songs you know which I think that's a testament too, because so many artists like Fast Domino, you know, don't really get the credit they sort of deserve, or maybe die before, you know, people realize right. how important they were. But to see him, that he's he's still alive, he's still in New Orleans, you know, he he still is the man that that made those songs, and he's still got a good mind, you know. I mean, that's that's a great thing, yeah. You know, yes. um, that doesn't happen real often, you know, not like the way he. The way he had it, I mean, yeah. the way he's he's done it. So, yeah, know. yeah, it's awesome. Um, okay, let's listen to our last track. Cool. This is my blue heaven. When Wilpa will call, and evening is night, I hurry to my blue heaven. You turn to the right, you find a little bright light that leads you to my blue. You find a cozy place, fireplace, cozy room. All the nest, that nest is where the roses bloom. Just Molly and me, and the baby makes free. Be happy in mind, please, boy. heard my blue heaven from fats domino and that is going to do it for 1000 recordings podcast episode number 62 if you'd like to send us an email please do at 1000 recordings podcast at gmail.com you can join us on twitter and our handle is at 1000 rp you can join us on facebook where we post we've talked about we post a lot of videos and stuff like that on facebook and join in the sort of conversation sometimes that we have with the community 
Um, you can support the podcast by going to patreon.com slash 1000rp and uh, become a patron of our podcast and help us uh, buy the music that we need and uh, maintain our servers and our equipment and all that stuff, which can you know get expensive. Um, and if you have a few minutes and you haven't done so already, head over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review, and we will re- read your review on the show. And like I said last show, we have not had a review in quite a while. So if you like the show, take five minutes and head over to iTunes and just leave us a review, even if it's a bad one, which we've never gotten. We've never gotten a bad review, but if you want to leave us a bad review, uh, I'll read that on the show. So We can take it. If you want to tell us how much <laughs> we suck, we, you know, we'll read that on the show. Uh, so... Next week on the show, or next time, I should say. Yeah, yeah, um, we never know. <laughs> yeah, uh, we have the, the doors. doors. Yeah, yeah. Tim Morrison, man, <sighs> so many stories that we could talk about him. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, then we have a gospel album by Thomas A. Dorsey, <clears throat> and then we have. A, well, it's labeled blues, but it's called a Bayou Deluxe by Michael Duchet and Beau Soleil. Um, yeah. A sort of uh, Cajun, maybe, Creole kind of album. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah that, that's fun. That, that'll be fun to talk about. And then the, the difference between, you know, Creole, Cajun, Zydeco. We can discuss that, too. That, that'll yeah. be fun. Yeah, I, yeah, that's yeah, something yeah. That, that bumps around in my mind. But, yeah, both. Yeah, Beausoleil, I, I'm familiar with them somewhat uh, from where we used to work. You know, just, you know, anyway. Right on. Cool. Good stuff. All right, man. Well, until next time, uh, we will talk about more albums from Tom Moon's book. Later, everybody. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs>